Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 12, and we're recording on Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. How are you doing? I am excellent, Rincey. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's election day here in various parts of the United States, and I like am one of those weirdos who like follows it obsessively, even though there are no elections happening here in Illinois. <laughs> I, you know what? I panicked today because I was trying to, I was thinking, I'm seeing all of these Twitter updates. I know Virginia's got their their big governor's race. And I'm sitting here going, am I missing something? Or is this just an off year for Illinois? Yeah. And so I, I, I'm, I've just been like, quietly fretting today that I'm like, that I'm not doing my civic duty, even though there's nothing, literally nothing for me to go out and vote for. Yeah, no, that's I had like a moment of panic, too, when I saw like a significant number of people I follow posting about voting this like I think it was like over the weekend or something. I saw like a bunch of people posting about going to vote on Tuesday. And I was like, wait a second. And like I quickly Googled to make sure that I wasn't missing a vote that I had some I don't even know how I would possibly because I follow like every newspaper local and like a bunch like I, I would have heard about it. <laughs> like There's no way I would have missed a thing anything about voting like I even vote in like the primaries and stuff like that so yeah uh, but yeah I was uh following that and so far things are going quite well um based on the results that have come in so far but obviously I'm not following it as we are currently recording but (laughs) (laughs) based on everything that's happened so far Virginia really came out and New Jersey really came out and the results are making me happy so well, I will keep my fingers crossed. And if you are one of the listeners who went out and voted, um, well, it would have been a few days ago once you're listening to this. But if you went out and voted, you get two thumbs up from me. That's awesome. Keep that going because we're going to have more elections next year. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Keep the momentum going. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Um, okay. So if you have not uh, listened to the podcast before, like we said at the top of the show, we are uh, we talk about mysteries and thrillers and everything related to it, whether it's new books that are coming out, new movie adaptations, really good uh, TV shows that have come out, um, really bad movies that have come out. We talked about The Snowman uh, last episode, I think, or the episode before. Um, and so we, we, yeah, we just kind of talk mysteries and thrillers, and that's that's kind of our thing. So we always love um, hearing suggestions from from listeners. So if you have something that, like a news-worthy uh, item that's come up, Or if you have a topic that you'd like us to talk about or that you'd like to get some themed recommendations for, let us know because we're we're all about that, too. We love hearing from people. Yeah, that's for sure. We are always happy to get recommendations. And some of the topics that we've already covered have also already been like based on recommendations that we've gotten, even just people being like, hey, we wanted you to talk about Cozy Mysteries. So we did a Cozy Mysteries episode. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. All right. So why don't you kick us off with some of the, with a couple of newsy things for us? Yeah. So uh, first up on our agenda, we have kind of a fun story. Uh, it's basically about a new book coming from John Grisham. It's a thriller. And the headline is that <laughs> I really like this headline from Quartz. There'll be a link to the actual story in the show notes. Um, it says student debt is so de- terrifying. It's now the subject of a John Grisham thriller, which is just hilarious to me. Um, so he has a new novel called Called the Rooster Bar, which is out now, I believe. And it says the plot is partially inspired by a 2014 feature in The Atlantic about for-profit law schools. Um, and so I guess this book centers around these three law students, law school students who discover that their institution is a scam. Um, 
And then also, I guess he's talking significantly about the student debt crisis in the story, which I would assume most anyone who goes to law school, unless you are very lucky to get like significant amount of scholarships or you have like parents who are able to help you out or something like that, um, you're going to have a lot of student debt at the end of law school. So I just think it's really funny that John Grisham is writing a book that heavily focuses on that like obviously student loan debt is like a huge problem for a significant portion of americans right now and we all find it to be extremely terrifying and some of us may feel like we're never going to get out of debt and it's just going to be this forever burden we have um but i just think it's funny to write an actual thriller that focuses on it i you never would think that this would be a thing that would show up in a book like this yeah i mean i know some thrillers um like they'll they'll pull stuff that you know like you know from the headlines and like I remember in God what how long ago was this two thousand four two thousand five when Michael Crichton wrote State of Fear it, it was about climate change and global warming and you know it was very a very hot button issue um, which it still is um, so I know like thrillers tend to do this I also know that not all of these thrillers age well. So we'll see if this, we'll see if this book is maybe as popular or as relevant um, in years to come. I know speaking, I mean, I've just speaking personally, I got off, I, I have student, I have student debt, but not as bad as many of the stories that I hear from my, uh, friends and family members. Um, but I feel like I would be kind of depressed reading a book like this because, you know, at the end, you you kind of figure that for the most part, things are going to turn out well. And at the end of the book, I'm still going to be stuck with thousands of dollars in student debt. So <laughs> I don't know if this will really qualify as an escapist read for a lot of people. That's a very good point. I did not even think about that. This might actually like exasperate the problem for some people. <laughs> be like, I couldn't even... Uh get through it the way these guys did or like maybe everyone will secretly wish that they would discover that their institution was a scam and they would somehow get their money back or something like that yeah so read at your own risk depending on your level of student debt (laughs) yeah um but it's funny that you mentioned the michael Crichton stuff because i had forgotten about that one but i feel like that i mean that one i feel like made sense in my head because michael Crichton's always been kind of into like the sciencey type stuff uh, so I feel like a book about climate change kind of made sense to me when that one came out. Uh, and I guess now thinking about it, like John Grisham just writes about everything related to law and law school. So why wouldn't he tackle student loan debt? Like that is a huge part of every lawyer's life. Um, it's sort of like what the next step, I guess, would be for him. But yeah, it's just funny. And there'll be a link in the show notes to this article about it if, in case you guys are interested. All right. Um, the other story that we wanted to briefly mention is that the Goodreads 2017 uh, Choice Awards are now open. Um, they've been open for a couple of weeks now. I think they opened like right after the last episode dropped. And so they're now in the semifinals. And uh, just wanted to talk very briefly about what's been nominated, specifically in the mystery thriller section. Um, there are, let me count really quick. There are about 20 
uh, books, or there are exactly 20 books in the semifinals right now. A lot of them are just like the big popular uh, mysteries and thrillers that you've been hearing about. There's The Breakdown by B.A. Paris, uh, Righteous by Joe Ide, which is my personal pick for this one, um, The Dry by Jane Harper, which I've been hearing really, really good things about, uh, The New Louise Penny, uh, The Fourth Monkey by J.D. Barker, Into the Water by Paula Hawkins, um, Dan Brown's Origin, Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pinneborough. Um, Karen Slaughter, um, The Good Daughter. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to mention that those are open and there are some interesting ones on here. I mean, it, I feel like with the Goodreads Choice Awards in general, you're always just going to get the most popular books end up moving through the different, fi- uh, the different rounds of this because like, that's just how it works. Like it's a popularity contest. So obviously the book that gets read the most will probably win. I don't really know based on what's here right now, what's going to get through. I would think Dan Brown's origin might get through, but I don't know if like people who read a lot of mystery thrillers are going to necessarily vote that as their favorite of the year, even though it is really popular. Um, I could see like Louise Penny going through. I could see Behind Her Eyes possibly going through a lot, although I do know a lot of people who are really upset with that ending. Um, The J.D. Robb might get through just because J.D. Robb's a really popular writer. Um, I don't know. Do you have any opinions or thoughts about any of the books that have been nominated? Um, I have not read as many of them as I would like, although I do have several of them on my list. Um, when I voted in the original round, I did vote for The Dry by Jane Harper, um, which I talked about a, a couple episodes ago. And uh, if you're a ton of French fan, I really think you need to pick this one up. Um, it's it's fantastic. And I read it, I read like the last 200 pages in a single sitting. Um, but yeah, Paula Hawkins would, would probably get through. Um, yeah, I don't, John Sanford. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a mega popular author. I, I find that I'm not very, I'm not usually very surprised by the, by the books that make it through the different rounds and the ones that are ultimately picked. Like you said, it's a popularity contest. Um, I would have liked to see a more diverse group of authors for this. I know, Rinsey, you and I were talking about before we started recording that, you know, some categories this year for the Goodreads Choice Awards are actually pretty decent in terms of representation. Um, Like the general fiction category, they've got some really solid choices on there. Mystery and thriller, pretty white. Um, So I'm, but with stuff, with stuff like that, we're, I'm, I would, I honestly would have been shocked if it it was a super diverse category. So with what we have here, I don't know, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until I see what, until I see what goes through, but I'm going to guess it's probably, it's probably not going to be an author that would surprise me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm just very surprised that Joe Ide made it to the semifinals. I didn't think he was popular enough uh, to make it through, but it seems like his uh, IQ novels are starting to sort of pick up some popularity, which made me really happy. So the fact that there's just one, (laughs) I was like, that's great. This is amazing. Um, But I also think that part of it is just like a problem from like the publisher's point of view. Uh, You know, Katie and I go through every, you know, two weeks and we pick out like some books for you guys to highlight. We highlight like the new releases and we can tell you like firsthand, it's hard to find mysteries and thrillers that are by not white people on a regular basis. And it's so it's partially like a publishing problem where they're just um, either they're not promoting authors of color in the mystery and thriller categories, or they're just not putting those books out period um so yeah i mean i feel like this is one of those categories where the problem starts not 
from Goodreads, but from like the publisher end of things. Because even like some of the other categories, like the more niche you get into the categories, like the wider it gets, which I think is just a general sense of the publishing world um because like the more general ones like the fiction one we were saying um the young adult fiction one the picture books one like those are all pretty good in terms of representation but then when you get into the more specific ones is when you run into problems um the other thing that i found kind of interesting about the goodreads category is how they separated uh, mystery thriller and horror um so some of the books that we've talked about here on the show are actually considered horror like final girls they put as horror um white tears which i kind of understand as being uh horror um is on there and like some of the others uh the changeling by victor lavelle i didn't realize that was a horror i thought it was more like a suspense thriller but i also haven't read it yet so i could be just i'm just guessing (laughs) um but yeah just i think it's also just really interesting to see like how they break down what books go into what obviously like a lot of books cross a bunch of different genres so it's not like there's always these clear lines but I I think Final Girls in particular was one when I got to horror I was like oh I didn't realize this was going to be in the like I I would have never put it in the horror category yeah I I would keep it in mystery and suspense but because it has such a strong horror element to it with the references to you know slasher movies and the final girl that that survives the the uh serial killers uh reign of terror i can totally see how this how it could end up in both of them but if you really had to twist my arm yeah i'd probably put in mystery and suspense all right um so yeah if you're interested in checking it out if you haven't already i mean if you're on goodreads you've probably gotten the emails and seen the banner but yeah you can just head to goodreads.com there's a bunch of um like banners and stuff so you can check it out the semifinals goes until the 12th the finals run from the 14th through the 27th and then the winner isn't winners are announced on december 5th so go ahead and head over vote for your favorite books of the year or at least the ones that are currently in the semifinals (laughs) and yeah we'll probably talk about the winners once they're announced in a couple of weeks all right Um, Well, I'm super excited to talk about our first sponsor for this episode, because this, for whatever reason, this seems to be the year of Lizzie Borden. Like, we're getting a lot of books or nonfiction books that talk about the Lizzie Borden murders, and we have another one um, that is sponsoring the show. So our first sponsor is Murderers Made by Erica Mailman, um, and this book comes from Yellow Pear Press. In 1889, Bridget joined the Borden household as their maid, but something evil is brewing beneath the house's genteel surface. In 2016, Brooke hides from her dangerous past and avoids making friends, but what if it's time to stop running? And the author is a Bram Stoker Award finalist, which is like the the big um, the, which is the big horror uh, awards for horror writers. And she brings the true story of the murder of Lizzie Borden's father and stepmother, which was never totally solved. Lizzie Borden was brought to trial, but she was eventually acquitted of murdering her father and stepmother. But she adds a contemporary narrative to the story. It's intelligent, it's detailed, the murderer's maid is described as a gripping read from beginning to bloody conclusion. And boy, if there's a way to hook me on a book, that's it. (laughs) 
Um, so it, yeah, it takes, it takes the, the real life murder and gives it, and gives it a new spin. And the author spent years researching Lizzie Borden and the murders before coming to her own conclusion of what really happened. There are lots of different theories out there about whether or not Lizzie Borden actually did it. Um, and the author, it says that the author even spent a night in the house where the murders took place. It is now a bed and breakfast and she slept in Bridget's old bedroom where the maid used to live. And I would be lying if I said that I have not total that if I said that I had never contemplated um, making a reservation at this bed and breakfast at some point in my life. Because, you are a braver person than I am. No, I think I'm a slightly more messed up person. <laughs> but yeah, that that's totally been on my bucket list for a while. So if you are kind of weird like me and are interested in this type of stuff, uh, definitely pick up Murderers Made by Erica Mailman. And again, that is from Yellow Pear Press. And thank you very much to them for sponsoring the show. That was a great ad read, I just have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about this book. <laughs> All right. Um, so the next thing that we're going to be talking about is um, the new, rel- relatively new uh, Netflix uh, crime show called Mindhunters. And we wanted to sort of give a little bit of a content warning before uh, we jump into it because we will be talking about uh, true crime stuff and we will be talking a little bit about uh, recent events that have occurred um, specifically in Texas with the shooting and things like that. So um, we do want to provide a little bit of a warning in case that's something that either you're not interested in hearing about, which is completely understandable because it's a difficult topic to deal with, um, or if you're just around like kids or anything like that and you don't want that discussion um, to be occurring while you're listening. Um, So yeah, just a quick warning on that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I know I was the one who mentioned Mindhunters. Now, did you, have you gotten a chance to watch like an episode or anything like that? Yeah, I only watched the first episode because I kept getting freaked out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like I watched the first episode and I'm a big baby. Remember this. Uh, so it was like super graphic and I was just like, oh man. So I feel like I need to like psych myself up. I basically like can watch it over the weekends when I have like more mental energy uh, to do so to like take it in. But yeah, I watched the first episode. Yeah. So I will let you know that for the most part, the, I mean, the, well, I'm not a good, I'm, I guess I'm not a good gauge of what's graphic and what's and what's not. I did find that as the series went on, a lot of a lot of what was going on in the series had to do with the interpersonal stuff, like between the agents and the people in their lives and the and the bureaucracy of the FBI. Um, so it do, it is not. I didn't find it to be like really in your face, kind of startling. I know the first like the first scene in the first episode, I was like, oh my gosh, if this is what the whole show is going to be like. I'm going to have to take a chill pill or something because this is really intense. Yeah, it's so not quite that intense. I um okay, that's good to know. I think that's mostly what put me off just because that first scene, yeah, I was not prepared at all for what was going to happen. I don't think anyone is. No spoilers or anything, but I screamed. <laughs> I was not prepared. Like I literally screamed because it's yeah, it's very graphic in the beginning. So, I mean, this is rated like MA or like it's Netflix, so I don't there's no ratings, but like it basically is like they don't hold back really. Um, so yeah, that's good to know. But yeah, do you want to give like a quick like sort of synopsis of what this is for anyone yeah. who might not know? 
Yeah, it's um, it's actually based on a book uh, called Mindhunters that was written by um, John Douglas and Mark Olshaker, who basically, they didn't found, I don't think they founded the Behavioral Science Unit of the FBI, but they really revolutionized how the FBI and how and how police officers and whatnot um, investigate serial murders um, and how they and how they understand the psychology of serial killers and and stuff like that. It's very, you know, it's very disturbing work that they did. But they went out and they really they talked to uh, to convicted serial killers in prison and they started to kind of put together a profile of the of the types of people who commit these crimes and they really revolutionized the um the like forensic science and um and just you know the I'm I'm blanking on the term but the the you know the the whole investigative aspect of law enforcement when it when it comes to these really brutal types of crimes um and so yeah they wrote the they wrote the book I think in the mid 90s and they've written other books since then but um the show even the there are two main the two main characters the two agents that are kind of brought together um through different events and they start um going out and and talking to convicted murderers in prison to talk about their crimes and what drove them to commit these crimes like what happened leading up to them how they felt in the moment what they how they felt afterwards and at first it's very you know it's very taboo to be doing this in the FBI because it goes against all of their established protocols and stuff like that but they're kind of able to prove that investigating and creating and pulling together this information is helpful in terms of solving crimes. And so slowly the, the FBI administration is kind of brought on board. There's um, a, there's a woman who is a, I believe she's a, she's a professor, a, she's a, uh, she's, I don't remember if she's a psychology professor or something, but she's very interested in investigating criminals and and people who exhibit exhibit deviant behavior, and so she's brought on to help them with to help them with this research and and their own investigations, and it's it's a really it's an interesting blend of a show because you see kind of the ins and outs of how the FBI bureaucracy works. Um, you get to you have kind of the crime of the crime of the episode where it's a lot of times when they go out and uh, they go out and teach police departments across the country. They teach them FBI tactics so that they can use those in investigating crimes in their own jurisdiction. And they're more often than not asked to consult on a bizarre case that has happened locally, and they're not sure. And the police there aren't sure what to what's going on with that. So there's those those incidents, and then you have the interactions that they have with these convicted serial killers in prison. And I don't know where they found the actors to portray these these murderers, but holy cow! <laughs> like, the, oh my gosh! If you've seen the show, and you've seen the actor who plays Ed Kemper, who I was not familiar with before the show started, and then I did a Wikipedia search and I went, oh boy. He is, I, the, oh, he's just bone chilling. That actor is just chilling, um, but really horrifyingly fascinating. So it's 
it's just this really this really interesting mix of all, like how all this stuff kind of came together at this point in time, which was like in the mid to late seventies, I think it is. Um, but if you're really interested, if you're interested in forensic investigation or, I mean, or just true crime in general, this, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting show. Yeah. Like if you're someone who's like, again, a scaredy cat, like me, like it- the, like, there are parts of it that are really graphic, but it really is about getting into the minds of these different serial killers, which I personally find really interesting. It's re- the reason why I think I like reading these books is because I can't handle like visual graphic things happening. Um, but personally, like the reason why I usually read true crime books is usually I want to know the whys, which I think a lot of times happens Um for most people, like we want to kind of understand why people make these sort of decisions or end up in these places or end up in like situations that we could never really imagine ourselves. Um, and I think that this show is kind of doing a good job of getting into that with these different um, serial killers that they interview and also just sort of providing the viewer with an understanding of how like the FBI goes about handling cases like this and how they ended up like developing, um, you know, their methods towards figuring out how to understand serial killers and also like using that knowledge moving forward to, you know, find and stop other serial killers. Yeah. And one thing I will mention, like if I have a bone to pick with the show and I'm not sure how much of it is, the fact that it's, you know, that the show is set in the mid-70s and how much of it is something that the show, you know, really needs to address in later seasons. But the way the way that the female characters are treated, whether they are on screen or they're just kind of referred to peripherally, it's it makes it makes me as as a woman feel kind of uncomfortable you very much get the feeling that you're you're in a man's world here um but when they're talking about the when they're talking about creating profiles of these murderers they talk about the focus is always on oh they had you know an overbearing mother or they um were recently you know this guy snapped because he was recently dumped by a girlfriend or he's you know filled with rage because he wasn't able to perform with with a prostitute that that he that he picked up and i mean i'm i'm not you know i'm i i don't investigate these types of crimes i'm not an experienced psychologist i i can't speak to the validity of the of how often this happens but in a lot in these cases it feels a lot like I don't know I got I got the sense that a lot of these men like they they weren't condoning the the criminals bad behaviors but it seemed like the focus was always on they were the way they were because of a woman in their life and that that felt off to me. And like I said, I don't know if that's because that was, you know, the prevailing attitude at, at the time, or if that's something kind of subconscious that slipped into the filming of the show. But I will be, I'll be paying attention to see how they, how or if they address these issues in upcoming seasons. Yeah, I mean, saying, when you're saying that, I can understand your 
like hesitation and the general grossness that you feel about it. But part of me wonders if that's also just kind of true, um, even with recent events that have occurred um, talking about the gunman and like when there are details coming out, like a lot of his issues had to deal with like his wife. Um, and I think that like the sort of idea of like toxic masculinity in our society, uh, which was not a phrase that was used obviously back then. Um, it's a more recent categorization, but I think that that definitely plays a part in why men end up taking these sort of extreme, I don't know, choices in life, I suppose you can say. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but it's just uh, like the idea that like, I think men are forced into these very specific roles and if they don't fit these very specific roles that are very hyper masculine um either the hyper masculinity ends up pushing them over the edge because it's too much or if they can't fit the roles they end up like sort of rebelling in the most extreme way possible so it's very possible that women play a key role in that because society tells them that women are supposed to play a key role in their lives yeah i think you really hit the nail on the head with that as soon as you said toxic masculinity i went yep that's that's what it is or that's that's kind of kind of what's you know what's troublesome and like you said it's trouble and it's also troublesome because it's you know it it's still very much present today in and it manifests itself in different ways but you know sadly a lot of these things still happen like like as like you mentioned like we've heard with the with the shooter in Texas um and that kind of brings kind of brings me to you know, one of the one of the thoughts that I was, you know, that I was having, a while I was watching Mindhunters, and then b after we decided that we were going to talk about true crime for this episode, is there are horrible things that are happening every day. These horrible tragedies that we read about on, you know, in the news, on social media, that we're just surrounded by these these really horrific tragedies, and so I'm like, why are we or or, you know, to get more specifically, why am I, you know, drawn to true crime when I'm, when I'm kind of surrounded by it already? And I, I don't have a good answer for me personally. I know you said um, a lot of it is focusing on the whys. And maybe there's a part of me that is just perpetually drawn to, you know, if I can understand why something in the past happened maybe it will help something that's currently going on right now make a little bit more sense because right now i mean stuff just doesn't make sense yeah i don't think i'm going out on a limb here i'm just saying i'm just saying the world's kind of crazy right now um or the world world's got a got a lot of uh unfortunate things happening in it right now but yeah and it's it's a really strong pull for me too because you know, after we after I finished watching Mindhunters, I I was like, okay, I have got to read another true crime book, and um, I'll talk more about it when we when we get to that segment. But I ended up picking up an account of uh, John Wayne Gacy, um, written by his defense attorney, and I mean the story itself is just you know horrifying, but it's also a book I have been very hard pressed to put down. Um, and to use another example, I, I was um, tried watching a movie a few weeks ago that I had read about called The Snowtown Murders, which is kind of a docudrama based on 
seri- based on a series of killings that happened in Australia in the 90s. And the uh, the consensus about this movie was, you know, it is very, very brutal. But if you can stomach it, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very powerful watch. And I, st- I started watching it twice before I finally had to tell myself I can't get through this movie because it was so horrific. Um, but even after I said, you know what, no, I'm not going to watch the rest of the movie, part of me was still going, but you need to keep watching it to find out why. And so it's this very, for me, it's a, it's this very strong pull to, to understand these really, these really horrific parts of humanity that even though, you know, I know it's in my best interest that maybe I don't want to go down that path right now, it's still very strong. And so I don't know if that's a, if that's necessarily, if that's a reflection of me personally, I don't know if that's a reflection of what's going on in the world today, that I feel that stronger pull to understand what's going on, but it's, it's very strong. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's unique to you by any means, because true crime has always been like a source of fascination for a lot of people. I mean, just look at the way that people gravitate towards like different news items based on like the uh, create sort of um, extreme levels of stories that are out there. Or even if you look at the extreme popularity of like podcasts like Serial and um, the other one that just came out this year that I cannot remember the name of off the top of my head. Um yeah, like that just proves that like every not everyone, but a significant portion of the population are always really intrigued by these types of stories. And I think like personally, like with podcasts like Serial and the other one that I can't remember right now, uh, I always had like a hard time listening to them because I felt like a lot of times we make not a spectacle out of the killers or supposed killers but I I think a lot of times like sometimes I get really uncomfortable because I think we forget it's easy to turn this into like an entertainment show and it's easy to forget that like people's lives have actually been lost in a lot of these situations Um, and I think sort of like finding that balance of it being entertaining enough of a story that people are compelled enough to keep wanting to watch or listen or read or whatever it is, um, but also like being honorable to the people who have died or been majorly affected by these crimes. Um, Like it's a really, really fine balance. And so a lot of times the best true crimes stories for me personally are the ones that are slightly more broader in their approach. Like they might look at the town itself. They might look at like what was happening in society or the country or the state or whatever at that point in time that might have led to um, these certain things happening. Um, I think like there's uh, the fact of the body that came out earlier this year, which I really enjoyed in terms of it being a really compelling read. Uh, But there were parts of it that made me slightly uncomfortable just because the author admits in the beginning that she obviously had to imagine certain situations because she wasn't there. Um, and that's basically how a lot of true crime is like, they have to sort of make assumptions based on the research that they have or make the best sort of estimations that they have. Um, and sometimes those assumptions or estimations, I feel like sort of cross the line into over dramatizing for the sake of entertainment um, as opposed to like providing like the readers or the watchers or whoever with a general sense of what the situation could have possibly been like. Um, But yeah, that happens to me a lot. Like I was completely 
um, obsessed with and in love with in terms of like the quality of the product with the recent ESPN documentary that came out about OJ Simpson. Did you see that? Uh, no, I haven't seen it, but I know obviously I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, so it's uh, it's amazing, and I was completely fascinated by it. And like I would watch them about as close to live as I possibly could every week, and I would like sit on Twitter because everyone would have their commentary. But then there would be parts where they very much showed you like the crime scenes and things like that, and like you would just be reminded that look at the horrific murder of this young poor like this poor young woman and this young man and like you would see uh, Nicole Brown's family um in like various news clips and you would like remember how like impacted these people were about what happened to their daughter or sister who um and like I feel like that documentary does a really good job of explaining like the situation of what the United States was like at that time explaining what a massive star OJ was and like what led to these events um, while also still like keeping the humanity of the people who are involved and like staying respectful so I feel like that's sort of like when I feel okay with it when they still remember that these are like actual human beings that we're talking about um, and like paying being respectful of that and not just treating them like characters in a story in order to like make money. Yeah, again, I think you really you really nailed it. Um, And actually, while you were talking about that, I realized one of the reasons that I might feel so drawn to true crime is that it forces me to, you know, to to not just see this as, you know, as an abstract story or something that I heard about or a sensationalist news piece. But yeah, that these are people. And because we are so surrounded by you know, new by tweets and news articles about, you know, we can just take the just the topic of mass shootings. And it's so easy to become desensitized to it just from the sheer number of them that occur. Um, And and so I'm wondering if maybe for me being drawn to true crime is my way of kind of reconnecting with humanity almost. I mean, it's in a horrible way, but it makes but it, it reminds me that you know, that these are that these are people being affected by these things and kind of helps me helps keep me from feeling too numbed and desensitized to everything that's going on. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to bring up American Vandal, which I'm assuming you were. Yes, I was going to say, I mean, I heavy, heavy stuff going on here. But if you are a true crime fan and want something that is much more on the lighter end of the spectrum, um, on Netflix, there's a show American Vandal, which is set up like a set up like serial or making a murderer where they're investigating a crime to see if someone has been wrongfully accused. Except in this case, the crime is that a high school senior drew uh, or spray painted a bunch of, uh, shall we say, male genitalia on the teacher's cars in the faculty parking lot, and he has been, since been expelled. And so the, the, the show is like a documentary of these two other students who knew this guy, and they're trying to determine if he is actually guilty, as the school clearly thinks he is, or if he's actually innocent, as he maintains he is. It is hilarious. I mean, they they are investigating these pieces of evidence like, oh, this girl just texted this guy with two Ys when she said, hey, you know, what does that mean? And they're treating it with such 
seriousness and they're playing this totally straight it is absolutely hysterical um so if you like that format but really want something with a with a life with a much lighter form to it you have to check out american vandal they they get the high school students like they it's it's just it's really really well done yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I've honestly only heard amazing things about it. Um, when I first, like when it first was released, I was like, okay, this seems like it could be really stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like everyone's been raving about it, and specifically because like they take it so seriously, even though it's so ridiculous. Um, like to the degree, like there was one reviewer who I was uh, reading, they're like writing about it, and they said like by the end of the series like you actually care about like this mystery as if it was like a real serious mystery like you do with like serial and making a murder and all this stuff even though like in your head you also kind of know like how insane this is but like they play it so well mm-hmm. that yeah it, i've heard really great things about it and i'm excited to check it out yeah if you're on the book writer uh book right insiders slack um the slack channels um a couple of us myself included we're getting into a very interesting discussion about some of the about some of the evidence that they portray on the show and like I will not get into it here because I want to keep it as family friendly as I can but I will totally admit that I am totally into the into the evidence and before they show that there is a discrepancy between two things I look to my boyfriend and I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh there's a difference there's a difference and I was just totally into it even though I'm, I'm like this is so ridiculous <laughs> Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, we're about. I think we're. I think we, we're halfway through. We, we've seen four episodes so far. So hopefully by the next time we record, I, we will have finished it. But yeah, American Vandal is hilarious. All right. Um, so now we will jump into our second sponsor for this episode, and that is Haven by Mary Lindsay. Rain Ryland has never belonged anywhere. He's used to people judging him for his rough background, his intimidating size, and now his orphan status. He's always been on the outside looking in, and he's fine with that, until he moves to New Würzburg and meets Frederic Burkhart. Uh, Freddie isn't like normal teen girls, though, and someone wants her dead for it. Freddie warns he'd Freddie warns he'd better stay far away if he wants to stay alive, but Rain's never been very good at running from trouble. Uh, For the first time, Rain has something worth fighting for, worth living for, and worth dying for. Um, So again, that's Haven by Mary Lindsay, and thanks again to them for sponsoring this episode. All right, uh, so to finish off the episode, or as we go towards the last half of this episode, um, I have our new releases for this week. Uh, So the first one is the one I am the most excited about, and that is Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. That is out on November 7th. So as this episode drops, uh, this book will already be out. Kristen Ritter is is an actress uh, who's probably best well known for playing Jessica Jones in the Netflix Marvel series. She was also in... Uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 on ABC, which was a short-lived show. Um, So this is a mystery, suspense, psychological thriller sort of situation. Um, It's been 10 years since Abby Williams left home and scrubbed away all visible evidence of her small-town roots. Now working as an environmental lawyer in Chicago, she has a thriving career, a modern apartment, and her pick of meaningless one-night stands. But when a new case takes her back to her home uh, barons indiana the life abby painstakingly created begins to crack 
Tasked with investigating Optimal Plastics, the town's most high-profile company and economic heart, Abby begins to find strange connections to Barron's biggest scandal from more than a decade ago involving the popular Casey Mitchell and her closest friends just before Casey disappears for good. Abby knows the key to solving any case lies in the weak spots, the unanswered questions, but as she tries desperately to find out what really happened to Casey, troubling memories begin to resurface, and she begins to doubt her own observations. When she unearths an even more disturbing secret, a secret ritual called the game, it will threaten reputations and lives in the community and risk exposing a darkness that may consume her. Um, So again, that was Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. A lot of people... um, it, Book Riot got like advanced copies of this one and were raving about it. A lot of people are saying it's like one of their favorites of the year, or at least they were like pleasantly surprised because, you know, a lot of times when actresses or actors or like musicians or anyone who isn't like known as a writer comes out with the book, I feel like there's a, quite a bit of skepticism that goes into it, especially if they're not doing like a memoir type situation. Uh, but I've been hearing, again, really, really good things about this one. I already have it and plan on reading it very soon. Um, so again, that's Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. The next one that I have also came out on November 7th, and that is Jade City by Fonda Lee. Uh, This is, I believe, the first book in the Green Bone Saga. Um, This one is a fantasy book that has quite a bit of a mystery twist to it. Um, So in this story, Jade is the lifeblood in this island of Kekon. It's been mined, traded, stolen, and killed for. And for centuries, honorable Green Bone warriors like the Kwa family have used it to enhance their magical abilities and defend the island from foreign invasion. Now the war is over and a new generation of Kwals vie for control of Kekon's bustling capital city. They care about nothing but protecting their own, cornering the jade market, and defending the districts under their protection. Ancient traditions have little place in this rapidly changing nation. When a powerful new drug emerges that lets anyone, even foreigners, wield jade, uh, the simmering tension between quals and rival families erupt into open violence. The outcome of this war will determine the fate of all green bones, from their grandest patriarch to the lowliest motorcycle runner on the streets and of Kekon itself. Um, So this is, again, an epic fantasy story. Um, It's being described as the godfather with magic and kung kung fu, which I... I feel like that's like the best elevator pitch you could get for a book. (laughs) Um, And it's set obviously in an Asian inspired fantasy metropolis. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can pick up Jade City by Fonda Lee. And then the final book I wanted to highlight is Fragments of the Lost by Megan Miranda. This one comes out on November 14th. Um, Megan Miranda is probably best well known for uh, writing the books uh, All the Missing Girls and The Perfect Stranger. And this one is a suspenseful psychological mystery about one girl's search to uncover the truth behind her ex-boyfriend's death. Um, So in this story, you are following this character named Jessa Whitworth, who knew she didn't belong in her ex-boyfriend Caleb's room, but she couldn't deny that she was everywhere in his photos, his neatly folded t-shirts, even the butterfly necklace in his jeans pocket, the one she gave him for safekeeping on that day. His mother asked her to pack up his things, even though she blames Jessa for his accident. How could she say no? And maybe, just maybe, it will help her work through the guilt she feels about their final moments together. But as Jessa begins to box up the pieces of Caleb's life, they trigger memories that make Jessa realize their past relationship may not be exactly as she remembered. And she starts to question whether or not she really knew Caleb at all. 
Each fragment of his life reveals a new clue that propels Jessa to search for the truth about Caleb's accident. What really happened on the storm swept bridge? So this one is being described as perfect for fans of We Were Liars and 13 Reasons Why. And again, if you picked up All the Missing Girls or The Perfect Stranger and you really enjoyed it, you might really enjoy this one as well. And that is Fragments of the Lost by Megan Miranda. And again, that's out on November 14th. Um, and there are a lot of like big name mystery thriller books that are coming out in the upcoming weeks um, right before, you know, holiday season. So if you are a fan of any of these authors or you know someone who is a fan and you have to, you know, buy presents or something along those lines, I just wanted to mention that um, there's a new Lee Child book, uh, specifically a Jack Reacher book called The Midnight Line, which uh, came out on November 7th. Um, there is a new Stephanie Plum novel from Jenna Evan and Novich. I just realized I've never said that out loud before, um, called Hardcore 24. And then there's a new David Baldacci book uh, called Endgame, which is part of the Will Robbie series. Uh, so again, those books are all out now or coming out in the next couple of days. So you can definitely pick those up if you are interested. Yeah, um, I think I was going to say, I've I've always pronounced her last name as Ivanovich. That's probably correct. Honestly, okay. I've never said it. I literally, this is the problem with being a reader. I've never said her name out loud before. I've always just like seen it. <laughs> so I, when I said that, I was like, mm, I don't think I went that right way. <laughs> Well, that's I was going to say, well, I guess that's one of the perks of working in a library because we hear lots of people coming in and talking about Janet Ivanovich or I mean, even if they say like Evanovich or something like that, that's OK. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, I was going to say, I'll, I'll, you want me to give you just a, a little uh, a little talking break? I can talk about what I'm reading. Yeah, that works. I need to like a, take a sip of my water. <laughs> OK. Um, as far as finishing, I've had, uh, for those of you, AKA everyone who can't see my notes right now, it just says, Oh boy. Um, I have not been able to really finish a book in a little while. It's been kind of a rough reading patch and I don't know why, because I'm like, I'm starting stuff, but then I put it down and then I never, I don't pick it up again. And I've got, it's, it's weird. So I haven't really finished a whole lot that I ha haven't really talked about already on the show. Um, as far as books that I'm starting, um, I'm picking one of the books that I put down for a little while that I'm picking up again is one we mentioned earlier on this episode, um, White Tears by Hari Kunzru, which Goodreads has classified as horror. Um, I'm about maybe a third of the way into it. I would classify it as literary fiction meets a mystery meets horror because there's kind of like a ghost story element to it. Um, the main premise of these two, um, these, these two guys that are, they're either in college or, or just out of college and they're, uh, like big music, uh, connoisseurs, big, and one of them's a wealthy, uh, he's very, his family's wealthy and he's a big record collector. And he tries to, um, he tries to sell a record to a fellow collector and, but he, it's basically a hoax. He makes up this this uh, artist, and you know, with this recording that they that they captured mysteriously out on the out on the city streets of, of New York. Except the guy who they're selling it to is they're like, no, this guy, you know, this guy is actually real. He's a he's a real musician, and they and he wants to know like where they got this recording and all this stuff. And the and the guys are like, we just made it up. And the guy's like, no, 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 this this guy's really real. So they're kind of they're tracking down that information to figure out, you know, where did this, you know, the, the sound that they recorded is real, 
but they're like, where did it come from? How does, like, we thought we were making up this blues artist, and it turns out that he was a real person. Like, what's going on here? Um, it's really interesting. If you like books with a really, really strong music element, like music history and stuff like that, you'll you'll really dig this one. Um, like I said, I'm about of a third of the way through. Um, I put it down for a while because I just had, I guess, other stuff come up. Um, but I'm ready to pick it back up again. Um, and then, like I also mentioned earlier, um, I for to feed my true crime kick, I picked up the book John Wayne Gacy Defending a Monster by Sam L. Amarante and Danny Broderick. Uh, Sam Amarante was the defense lawyer for John Wayne Gacy. Um, John Wayne Gacy is, I mean, he's pretty much known nationwide, but he's very much um, you know, part of Illinois folklore and urban legends. Um, but he, in the 70s, he was convicted of murdering, uh, I don't, I don't remember what the total number was, but, um, a ton of young men and teenage boys, um, that came, or that he would bring to his house and then, um, and then they were murdered and then a lot of them were buried under his house. Um, he all used to dress up as a clown, which of course it's just like, oh gosh, <laughs> doesn't this can't possibly get any worse but um it's one of those those infamous cases that you think you know the the actual story but you really don't and since this is coming from the perspective of his defense lawyer i thought it would be interesting to read um it's so far it's not if you're looking for a very well crafted very very you know tightly written story this may not be it but it's fascinating in and of itself just learning the details of the case and also horrifying in and of itself as you learn the details of the case um but yeah this one i'm probably gonna finish in a couple of days and i'll uh, i'll report back <laughs> yeah i uh didn't realize how much of uh like specifically like midwestern chicago figure john wayne gacy is which it makes sense but i like i like remember like going out of town one time and making a reference to John Wayne Gacy and people were like so like blank eyed they're like who is that what are you talking about <laughs> but all right um so the books that I'm currently or I just finished the one book that I finished over the past two weeks is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier which I mentioned in the last episode as I was currently reading at that time oh man this book is so good. I was slightly concerned because I know a lot of people really love it. And so I was concerned that I was going to be like the one person who doesn't love it or like in that minority. Um, I was also really concerned because this book was published in like the 1930s, I believe. And sometimes like whenever people recommend older quote unquote thrillers, I say quote unquote because people call Rebecca a thriller and I wouldn't really call it a thriller. It's more like a suspense book. Um, so yeah, I was concerned that it was just not going to work well for me. But oh man, this book is so good. Uh, so the general synopsis is that you are following this unnamed narrator who ends up marrying uh, this man named Max DeWinter. Um, so she marries this man who's like significantly older than her. She's probably in her like early 20s and he's in his 40s um they end up meeting while she's on holiday in monte carlo and so they get married very quickly and he, she ends up returning to his estate which is called manderley but the entire estate and everyone who works there seems to be like haunted by the ghost like 
not an actual haunting, but like they all continually think about and make reference to his first wife, who's named Rebecca. And the entire time that you're reading this book, you know that like something slightly off, like you're not completely sure what it is, but there's something slightly off. And so that sort of drives the entire story. Um, I will say that it starts off really slow. So be prepared for that. If you haven't read Rebecca yet, uh, I do give that warning. It's not like super uh, fast paced at all. I would say like the entire story is pretty slow. But the way that everything ends and specifically like the last chapter I remember just like finishing it and being like what (laughs) like literally having like that moment of like screaming out into the world like I can't believe this is how this book ended um so yeah if you are like me and you haven't read Rebecca yet I mean obviously I've read it now but I've waited a long time to do so um I highly recommend picking it up it's just as good as everyone says and I'm definitely looking forward to picking up more uh Daphne du Maurier in the future And then in terms of what I'm going to be reading soon, originally I had no idea what I was going to read. And then I realized Murder on the Orient Express comes out this weekend, or as you're listening to this, it's already out. Um, So I definitely wanted to reread Murder on the Orient Express before the movie came out. I'm going to see it this weekend with friends and I'm so excited. Uh, So yeah, that is definitely on my list of things to read. And then after that, I don't know what I'm going to read. I might read Bonfire by Kristen Ritter, which I talked about earlier. Um because I have it and I'm excited about it. But I also have like all the other books that I keep mentioning that I want to read, like Righteous by Joe E. Day. And I have like 15 other mystery thriller books that are just sitting on my shelf that I need to get around to. So who knows what I'll end up picking up between now and next time. But I'm definitely going to be reading Mortar on the Orient Express. All right. Um, so that's our show. Thanks so much f- to everyone for listening. Uh, for show notes, head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have links to um, the various news articles that we referenced early on in the show, as well as to all of the books that we talked about. If you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can check us out. Um, if you want to send us feedback, we actually have an email address, which I always keep forget- forgetting to mention. It's redderdead at bookriot.com. So you can actually email us if you have like questions or suggestions or anything along those lines Um, or you can just follow us on social media and contact us there Um, i'm on twitter and instagram as at rincy a and i'm on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you guys next time bye bye